You're listening to the Ship Bob Operator Series. Each week, your host, Casey Armstrong, e-com veteran, is joined by founders, operators, and insiders who are bringing along their stories and data to give you the exclusive inside scoop and tactics from those who have been there, done it, and gotten their hands dirty. You can tune in for a live recording Wednesdays. Head to operators.shipbob.com for the details. But until then, enjoy this audio replay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the ShipBob Operator Series, episode 25. So next week will actually be our final episode of season one. Means we'll be going six months strong, which uh, I'm very excited about and, and proud of, of, of the whole team and of Nick orchestrating all of this in the background as well. And then for all of you, I know a lot of the people on this uh, have been coming every week. So appreciate you, you sharing this, asking questions, being engaged. You all know the drill. Drop in. Where are you guys calling in from? As always, I'm here in Orange County. Nick, out in the Cape. Same old, same old. Same and, God, um, baby. There we go. Chris Chris is over here in, in San Diego. Uh, he's actually in the middle of the, a move. So in, in true entrepreneurial fashion, running your own company amidst a pandemic is not hard enough. So let's throw a couple more wrenches into the equation and, and move across the U.S. So... Yeah. Okay, well, I guess we have the ultimate flex from Jennifer in St. Martin. So <laughs> everybody else, you can stop posting where you're from. She went. Um, we've got Chicago, Toronto, Phoenix, Naples, more Chicago. Um, I'm waiting for all the Austin people and, and some more of the SoCal people to come in. There we go. We got Robert out in Holland, some more Canada. I love it. Always getting some of the international people. Hollywood. Let's go. Western Mass. Is that a friend of yours, Nick? All right, Dubai, Honduras, all over the place. Perfect. So we have here, as you can see, we've got uh, Chris Mead. He's the co-founder and I believe the CMO, correct? Yep. Of CrossNet. It's the official four-way volleyball net. Uh, They've got sizes for men, women, and children. It works on what I saw, grass and sand and elsewhere. I've actually seen it out and about, especially being, being out here in Southern California. So I've got a bunch of questions. We've got a bunch of great questions from the audience when they were registering, and I'm sure they're going to ask a bunch here. But to start with, you know, always, always like to start with the most important question, and that is, what is your favorite surface to use CrossNet? Sand. Sand. Okay. Yeah, I love diving on the beach, uh, jumping in the water afterwards. Uh, it's always good to, to break up a big sweat and then jump in the water. I don't know if there's anything better than jumping in the water after exercising on the beach. Absolutely. I played volleyball indoor and in, in sand growing up, but we actually had a, a travel tournament where we got to play some grass games. And I'd never played grass until probably middle of high school. And grass is so much fun. It's like the best of both worlds where you can like, you're outside, you can dive and everything like you do in the sand, but you actually can, your vertical leap is not completely thwarted from the sand. So uh, it's a nice blend. So let's let's just start with the origin story. Like, how did you guys even come up with this idea? Yeah, I mean, we were literally home one night. I was still working my nine to five uh, in New York City, and our buddy Mike, who like we grew up playing childhood soccer with, right, like high school friend, uh, he had graduated from Northeastern uh, with an engineering degree. So normally, you had a good idea, you need somebody to engineer and send it over to China, right? Like, we skipped that step. We had somebody who had AutoCAD on his computer, like knew how to do this for a living. So we we're all we we're all together and. I was kind of just sick of commuting. I was literally commuting an hour each way on the subway, getting to work, like just one of those jobs where I was cold calling, wasn't having, just, I was 24. I was like, how long am I going to do this for? And uh, we're like, let's come up with something. So we kind of just sat there, brainstormed. And then we had like the light bulb come on. It was like four-way volleyball. Like, why not just intersect the nets and like bring back Foursquare? And we thought like, this is no way, like this is already, like somebody's doing this already. Like it can't happen. And you Googled it and nothing was on the internet at all. Like there's not a single picture for it. And we're like, oh, this could actually be something. So <laughs> the next day we like woke up, we went to Walmart. We got like two badminton nets, like cut out the middle uh, and then like rigged it up, like tied one end to like my mom's shed and the other one to like the garden, had our friends come over and we just played for hours on end. And it was, it was just fun. Like we didn't really think of it as a business at the moment. We kind of just thought, Dude, we made something in our backyard. We played for five hours, didn't check our phone. Now, why wouldn't every other kid in America do the same thing? That's awesome. I, I love that. And it's, it's funny how many of these stories also start with, you know, I was working in New York way too long and I was commuting and I hated it. 
And then that's, you know, it really, you know, pours the fuel in the fire of that entrepreneurial spirit. So what about from like a manufacturing standpoint? Actually, before we get there, let's, I want to go back to the ideas. Cause I know that you've shared before you guys were sitting around, you're throwing out a bunch of ideas. You came up with, Hey, four way volleyball. What were some other other wild ideas you guys came up with when, when you Honestly, not, across that? Not anything that really even deserves any attention. They were garbage. Uh, really don't remember. The only one that we truly remember from three years ago was like a wall charger where like, it sat there and it charged and it was permanently on. It was a speaker as well. So it was like, there's an outlet to plug in your phone and it also played music, but pretty happy we came up with cross and stuff. Yeah. I think that's probably a, a much more fun space to play yeah. in. And uh, you're, you're in the sports world, which is great. Exactly. Um, so let's talk about like the manufacturing design prototyping. Again, you guys went to, you know, the local retailer and bought some badminton nets and chopped them up. Yeah. So fortunately, you know, your friend had an engineering background. So how, how did you approach that? Yeah. So the, the next thing for us was like, we had experience doing drop shipping before we had, I'd actually try, I created an eBay store. I got banned from eBay actually, because I was selling drop shipped uh, like jerseys, like hockey jerseys, basketball jerseys. Like, Hey, these are like knockoff jerseys, but they look real. If you want them, like you could get them from dhgate.com. So we had experience like working with like other people in overseas in, in China. So we literally just typed in volleyball nets. Uh, we found a manufacturer and we literally said, hey, we have a really cool idea. Are you open to discussing with us? We're not some VC funded kids. We don't have $100,000 to spend, but we have a cool idea. We think in six months or a year, it'll be really worth your time. And are you open to hearing us out? And we kind of like, we had to tread the water lightly because we didn't want to go send out the design to a hundred people. And we'd wake up one day and somebody stole our idea and somebody was manufacturing it, right? So we picked one or two people that we've really had a good rapport with. And we decided on one manufacturer, had about $10,000 to our name, nothing more. And uh, yeah, about three, four months later, we had a sample out in the mail. And uh, that was our first prototype. Awesome. And do you still use the same manufacturer today? Yeah. So, I mean, with our growth, we've had to open up two new factories. Well, two new, sorry, with two new manufacturers. But yeah, we still use that one. And they're at peak capacity. So that's why we've had to move on to get more people. That's awesome. I love it when you're putting the stress on the manufacturer, we're starting to have to diversify. Are all of your manufacturers over in China? Yeah, they're all overseas. Yep. So, so I'd love to get a little bit more in the weeds on the manufacturing side. Before we get there, something that you mentioned that I know is top of mind for a lot of sellers and I think continues to become more and more of a problem is these knockoff products. And like you said, even though you guys were at you know stage zero, you didn't want to send it out so that everybody started to manufacture it. And so what have you guys seen there from like a competition standpoint, both in like real competitors, but also from just these like knockoff builders on, you know, the different manufacturing websites? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, so to start, uh, we have a patent on the four-way volleyball net. So legally, we're the only ones to create a four-way volleyball net in the United States, which is great. It gives us tons of protection. We have that patent for like the next 15 years. So hopefully CrossNet will be well-established by then. But uh we actually work with a team that literally goes on it. They're called Find Fakes, great guys. And they literally just comb the internet for fakes and send them season desist, patents, trademarks, all that stuff to just get them to stop the listing. But it's a lot of work. Um, we see that a lot of people will try to knock off the product, create miniature versions of the nets. Uh, it's tough. We see some people like literally running ads on Facebook for our product and it'll take a few days for Facebook to take it down. And they're trying to sell knockoff versions. So we've staffed up with the fine fakes guys. And then we also have two virtual assistants that their whole job is just to comb the internet now. And if we could get them to shut down, yeah, that's them. If we get them to take it down, then that's a great move for CrossNet. So we're, we're trying to uh, expand internationally as quick as possible as well. So a lot of work for us. That's awesome. I've actually never heard of fine fakes. And by the way, just to mention what Nick threw in the chat also, whoever asks the most questions is going to win a free CrossNet as well. So, and I don't know if we talked to you about that, Chris. We're not yeah. asking for a free one. We'll buy it from you all. Yeah, no, um, I you guys on that and uh, ship up 20, shameless plug, but 20 bucks off if you guys want one. There we go. Ship up 20. I'm actually going to have to go buy one of those. So, <laughs> <Me too. laughs> so with, with Find Fakes, and you mentioned Facebook, they are the ones that are reaching out to Facebook on your behalf. They're notifying you all, and then you're notifying Facebook. How does that work? Yeah, it's a, it's a system. So we pay them, right, to do the outreach. But it is almost, it's a, it's a monthly retainer, right, that we pay them to go out on our behalf and take people down. But we see that the more that we put into the relationship, the more proactive we are, the better work that gets done. So we pay a virtual assistant 
just a couple of dollars an hour. Find them on a website like freeup.com, which is really good for us. And they just comb the internet and then boom, they literally say, hey, here's another one, take it down. Here's another one, take it down. So in the beginning of COVID, when outdoor games were kind of at its peak, when it was right in the summer months, it was tough, but thankfully things have kind of calmed down recently. What does that process typically look like? I mean, you, you send them your patent, you send them like a cease and desist. What, do, what are you sending them and, and how often are they actually like conforming to your requests? Yeah, so most of the time it's either you're selling, sending it to the seller directly or you're selling it, uh, sending it to the platform. Uh, so it depends on the platform. So if it's eBay, instead of sending it to the seller, we'll send it directly to eBay and we'll get eBay to take it down. Uh, but yeah, it's mostly sending over our patent paperwork our trademark paperwork, and any copyrighted images that we have that they're using. Interesting. And when did you start the patent process? Was that from day one? Was that after you started getting some traction? Day one? Yeah, we got a good legal team. So I wasn't involved too much in that. All I know is I got our patent number. We're we're really well protected and have a really strong legal team. So that's all good. But yeah, we started that in 2017. Who was the paranoid one that wanted to kick that off? I think all of us, man. I think when you're trying to... uh, when you're thinking about the security and when you have a, a brand new idea like this, like looking back, like we're, we're so fortunate, right? Like it's a damn cool idea. Like we're, we're really lucky to have this, but if we weren't protected, like we would have really shot ourselves in the foot. So. Nice. And so to get back on the manufacturing side, so here's a question from, from Maria, how has COVID affected your manufacturing relationship? And let's just say uh, the delivery speeds over in China. Yeah. So COVID for us, fortunately, manufacturers are not like in the Wuhan province and like where that got shut down. So they were able to keep producing. Shipments have been delayed a bit just due to the ports becoming super crazy with things backed up and everybody trying to keep up with demand. In regards to our relationship, the manufacturers have never been happier because we are now manufacturing 30,000 units per month. So we went from way shy of that to producing way, way more. So they're happy. They're getting more money. And we're just pumping out cross ends every single day. So we have trucks coming into the country like three or four times a week now. Well, nice. That's awesome. And have you guys been out to China to meet with the manufacturers or not yet? Yeah, I have not personally. Uh, My partner, Mike, who runs the entire China operation import business, he's been out there twice already. Great. And in the life cycle so far of the brand today... When did you guys decide to fly out for the first time? Or when did he decide to fly out for the first time? Yeah, Mike flew out about a year ago for the first time, uh, if I'm correct. Uh, And that was really when we were starting to add product, uh, add to our product line. See this uh, about customer lifecycle. Yeah, so we we started adding new products. So the indoor bases, the double net, the pool version, the partnership that we have with Wilson. It was all about going over there and making sure quality was perfect and making sure that the product was could be used perfectly. Because we worked over two years to build this mold for our indoor model. And if we had to blow the mold, right, and it's like a big plastic mold, costs like $10,000. And if one little centimeter's off, then the whole game collapses. So he, he wanted to go over there personally to make sure it worked perfectly before we even designed the product. Nice. That's great. And then to get back to the patent side, because uh, we have a question here from Jacob, and, and we'll jump into some others from the chat. How quickly was the patent issued after you guys filed for it? It was not, it was not a quick process at all. Um, like I said, I was very much not involved, but it was well over a year. Okay. Yeah. And then I think this a lot of this will lead us into like some of the marketing and demand generation side. And as you think through product expansion, but you, know, you guys have published how you went from, you know, let's call it 75K in year one. You guys did over two mil in 2019, and you guys are looking to do 10 mil plus this year. Correct. You know, that's congrats. <laughs> that's great growth. Going from zero to let's say 75k, how did you get that first sale? And then how did you guys continue to scale through that year? Yeah, I mean, at first, uh, so I was actually we were just talking about this today. Was we didn't have any paid, like we didn't have money to put behind paid dollars, right? Like this was all self-funded. I remember pulling out my 401k, like literally taking out all $3,000 of it, but it was all I had to my name at the time. And I had literally money to live for like four months, five months. So what the best way it was, was we had 50 nets or a hundred nets, whatever it was. We'd go to the beach every day in Rhode Island. Uh, that's like where we vacationed that growed up like 45 minutes away from our house. And we'd set it up. And by the end of the day, we'd have 45 people in line, like people just staring at it, wanting to play coming up to us. It'd be a, a full eight hour shift, but we'd <laughs> sell the one that we played with to somebody. And then we knew that somebody from the beach would buy it when they got home. They'd Google four-way, four-way volleyball net. They'd buy it. 
They would then go take it home on the weekend and go play at their neighboring beach or park or whatever it was and have that same viral effect that I had that day. So eventually, now we got, what, 100,000 nets out into the world. I know if I could get my customers out playing, they're going to create that same effect that I did on that very first day. It's interesting with the product, it does catch your eye because, you know, people are playing volleyball all over the beach, but it's just, it's such like this, like, striking product you know, on the beach with this, this four-way setup. So uh, with the founding team, it was you and your one other co-founder or the no, my brother, Greg, and our other co-founder, Mike. Okay, great. So there's the three of you. Yeah. So a question from Vikram. And you mentioned, you know, you had to deplete your 401k. You had a couple months left, which is that there's no better motivator than, hey, I've got a couple months. So, you know, feast or famine. So from Vikram, you know, what was the investment that you guys started with? It was less than $10,000. So what happened was, Invested about $10,000, sold our first initial purchase order, which was like 50 units, I believe. And then we doubled up and we had to add a little bit more capital just to get that bigger purchase order in. So we kind of doubled up a few times. But yeah, it was, it was 10 grand was the initial thing to get it all started with the marketing, uh, logos, trademarks, all that good stuff. Okay. And by the way, I love how you would, you know, you're using the product to sell like out in the wild, you know, medium is the message. Like you're actually, the people are using it right there. And I love how you'd actually sell the used net too. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) What about from like an audience building perspective? So, you know, you only can go to so many beaches in the same day and play for eight hours every day. When you thought of outside of like word of mouth and selling to people in your backyard, what were the first channels that you started to approach? Yeah, I mean, we looked at this, we knew it was going to be a long-term game. We knew this wasn't a get-rich scheme. We were not going to be driving beautiful cars really quickly. Uh, it took almost two years for us to even get a paycheck from this company. So our first strategies were at, like going to the beach. Luckily for me, I had a film degree. So I graduated with a film degree, a decent photographer. And I'd go to the beach and I'd take content every day. We'd either upload it to our site or then we'd go home. Um, my brother was kind of running paid for us back then. And he'd upload the clip to Facebook. We'd throw a $50 spend on it, hopefully get a two or three row as. And then, hey, we made a sale, bump it up to 75. And then I started really looking at everything on a metric of 100 visitors. If I know I got 100 people to site, it cost me $30 to do that. I know my conversion to this, I can really calculate my net profit, right? So let's throw another $60 in. Let's th- it's like gambling, right? So if I knew that my conversion was pretty consistent over time, let's just keep getting these numbers up. So it's kind of building out that science equation, math equation. And with this math equation, of course, you know, you have your, your order value and you start off with a single product, which was the four-way net. Correct. Did you, did you roll out the one size fits all, which maybe is like the men's or the women's um, height, or did you have a size for men, women, and children at the beginning? Yeah. So for that product testing, what we were looking for was what sucks about this product? How can we make it better? Uh, We probably went around five or six iterations to make it what crossing it is today. But the first thing we saw was our first prototype was too small. I'm not a tall dude. I'm like 5'8". But when I had my six foot friends on it, they were like dunking it every time. We're like, this needs to stop. This can't, this is not this <laughs> So we're like, all right, let's look up what men's volleyball height is. Let's look up what women's volleyball height is. And let's keep an acceptable height for kids. Let, let's just call it five foot seven or five foot eight. And uh, we're like, okay, so if we could make our poles be interchangeable, where you could just take out a pole and take out another pole, you could adjust the height. So rather than having customers have to shell out more money, they just have that flexibility. So now our game's completely height adjustable. Men's, women, children, just take out a pole, take out two poles, and just reset it. it. Takes about 30 seconds to do. And so to start, you had the one SKU. You had the one product. Yeah, we've had the one SKU up until uh, January 2020. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So one SKU store for them. But by the way, what I also take from your, your story there is it's the just launch. Like you guys had an idea, you know, people wanted it, just launch. The fact that you guys were already running the business with a patent in place and selling it. And then you were like, oh, we should see what the men's and women's volleyball net height is. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Get yeah, something out there. You, guys something. For it. you just got to go for it. Like if you spend all your time strategizing, you're trying to do things by the book, like you're never going to get anything done. Like the whole reason we got out of corporate America was so we didn't have to do those checks and balances with a hundred bosses before you got your voice heard. Like if I say something, let's get it done. Like, let's go. Like we, we want to get a billboard uh, for next week. We're trying to get a billboard now. Like it's cool being able to operate like really quickly. So, so Nick called out Spikeball, which is another, you know, game that we see everywhere. 
how do you guys view, I know they're very different games, but you know, you can, they're still used for the same reason, which is entertainment and exercise outside. So how do you guys view Spikeball maybe as like a competitor, as like a complement to the game? Is, is the same person who buys Spikeball going to buy CrossNet? How do you guys look at that? Yeah, no, we, we look at Spikeball, certainly look at them as a competitor, but also very fortunate. Been able to actually make a good connection with a guy over at CanJam, which is a game I personally grew up on. Like without CanJam, and I guess without Spikeball, there is no CrossNet, right? Like they paved the way for us. There's a lot of good things they're doing, a lot of things that we do differently. But their consumer, right, is definitely somebody who would buy a CrossNet. You got those dudes diving on the beach, getting super sweaty. That would be awesome at playing CrossNet. So it's kind of winning them over. But on a separate channel, our game also hits a more broader market, right? You don't see a 90-year-old grandma playing spike ball. <laughs> That's really like on ESPN, right? Like you know, the average mom and dad. So our, our we broke down our customer persona for the first time ever last week. Like we finally created profiles. And there's millennials like myself running around diving. There's physical education teachers. And there's moms and dads looking to get their kids out off the, their laptop or their phone and into the backyard. So moms and dads is a huge demo for us. I think it's an even stronger demo than what Spikeball probably has. Uh, because everybody could play CrossNet, whether it's just a tap or they want to run around. So much broader demo than Spikeball's. Awesome. Well, I'd love to dive into the Persona stuff in a minute. But as you mentioned, you know, you had your single SKU all the way up until this year. Yep. And, you know, now when you go to your website, again, there's from multiple sizes, you've got the pool set up, you've got accessories. What qualitative and quantitative inputs did you take to start roll to start expanding that catalog? Yeah. I mean, the only qualitative and quantitative numbers we looked at was just common sense, right? We had people playing CrossNet. It gets cold up in Boston, right? It's about to snow pretty soon. You can't play CrossNet anymore. Your season's done. How do we make it a year-round sport? We bring it inside. So what do we need? We need a base for it. So we created that. I'm from Miami. It's hot right now. You can't go outside. Like you want to be in a pool if you're outside. Well, better way than playing cross net in the pool. So those were our two, like our two main SKUs. And then listening to customer feedback. We use a tool called Okendo right now to get reviews. Uh, we're also on the beach a ton, obviously getting customer feedback. People wanted it to be bigger. They wanted to run around. They wanted to break up more of a sweat. So we doubled the size and called it cross net doubles in it. So you could either play with your friends, just the four of you, or you can make it a team sport, which will help grow CrossNet as a sport uh, where we'll have teams travel all across the country playing together, which I'm really excited about. Are there like CrossNet competitions? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's tournaments. We're inter- like we're an intramural sport at like over 100 schools right now. Really? Yeah, we're played in like 7,500 gym classes. Yeah, so it's, it's starting to become an actual sport. And that's like on the marketing side, that's what I'm working on right now is it's less about conversion focused, like just get them to buy and more about education. Because you may see CrossNet on the beach, but 99% of the time, you don't really know the rules yet. Like we mm-hmm. invented rules, four square volleyball, game to 11, one by two. There's two minutes of education that needs to be done. So that's what I'm looking to solve this year. I love that where, I mean, you're going really big on the brand play and yeah. it's, you know, how do you, infiltrate people at, as young as possible and at that schools. And, and when you say school, are they primarily universities? Are they high schools? Are they elementary yeah, So we have, we work with vendors that have these catalogs, right? And every gym teacher in the world, I didn't know this until I started the business. Like every gym teacher gets a catalog every quarter based on where they are, or whatever ones they sign up for. So CrossNet's front and center in all those catalogs. And we're just pumping orders out to schools every day. And then the gym teacher sets it up. They got a class of 20 or 50. They got eight classes a day. The kids have a great time on it. They run home to mom and dad. Mom and dad, I need this game. I played at Crot Lake. I played in school. And it's just a never-ending cycle. So it's really cool to build that up. I, I love it. It's got to be such a fun product to market. It is. I, I, I want to get into the education side and understand a little bit more of, I guess, like from pricing and margin and all of that. But before we get there, you mentioned having to educate the rules of the game. And you mentioned, you know, how you got your master's in film and, or your, your uh, undergrad in film and, you know, from photography. So question from Jacob here is from like a content perspective, do you guys see yourself or maybe you have some of this launching content that goes with the nest from lessons to just different competitions? And it's almost like the, the, the Peloton for beach sports. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's actually what we're working on right now. So we're building branded partnerships with professional volleyball athletes. Volleyball is not a, a very well-known sport here in the States. So it's something that we're 
using the, the most well-known people, uh, getting them on retainers to create content around exactly exactly that, right? Like using it at CrossNet as a jousting tool to learn volleyball skills, learning it as a doubles net to learn about fundamentals like bump set spike. So creating YouTube tutorials, because from a brand standpoint, our YouTube is terrible. Like that is by far the worst channel we have. Uh, so we need to build that out. And by creating those lessons uh, with the best of the best uh, is what we're trying to do this year. And so how do you approach those partnerships? Are, like, are you paying them for the work? Are they like an affiliate? How, how, I'm, I'm sure it yeah. differs. It's a, it's a case-by-case basis. I mean, when we first started the company, we never paid for influencer marketing. Our product's heavy, right? It's 20 pounds. I know my product costs. I know my shipping costs. Before even one's lands at the doorstep, I'm already out 60 bucks or so. So we didn't have money to risk back then. Now we're a little bit more fortunate where we can kind of A-B test some of these things. And we're also smart enough to know, hey, if I pay you a thousand bucks, you make me a sweet video. I could probably monetize it on Facebook to get my my money back eventually. So those partnerships are they're case by case, typically monthly retainers. You have a set of deliverables that you have to give to the brand. And then we'll also give you back brand building where, hey, we might spend a hundred thousand dollars a month on your Facebook video tagging you and building your brand. So you can leverage that to get other deals. Getting a big billboard out here in Mission Beach gonna have one of the athletes front and center, like AVP player, uh, that's hundreds of thousands of impressions that we're giving you and your brand. Um, so it's kind of a, we're trying to find partners who are interested in reciprocating. Nice. Nick screenshotted your, your LinkedIn post on that. I think it was from LinkedIn. You guys are rolling out the billboard. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's been going off today. <laughs> it's perfect. I've been trying to convince Casey to be doing that since I started here at Chip Clock, So. <laughs> But the thing is, Nick wants to be on the billboard, so that's where we're going back to the <laughs> Um So, did you guys always price the four-way net at one fifty, or okay, where did no. where did you guys start there? Because like you're saying, bucks. You're sixty and bucks out the door. Yeah, it was a hundred bucks, and it, our manufacturing costs has gotten much better at, at scale. So it was a hundred dollars originally, and then I started just emailing buyers right at stores, being like, "Yo, you should have a cross net. It's a no-brainer." And then we started working on our first wholesale deal. And I'm like, oh, you guys could get the game at like 75 bucks. You sell it at 100, just not even taking into account marketing or shipping. And they were going to make like $3. And I'm like, all right, this actually doesn't work. So we bumped our price up to 150. Nobody noticed. And now we have margins. That's awesome. So, you know, one of the questions from earlier was repeat customers, also just increasing customer lifetime value. So maybe if you can talk with us a little bit about that, both. One is how do you even approach the repeat customers? And then as you've expanded the product line, how has that impacted you know, the lifetime value or even maybe the average order value like on the first purchase? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we've just released the, the H2O model, uh, which is $100. We have the indoor bases, which is an additional $100. We have the doubles net, $75. And we created a branded partnership, Wilson. So like the real Wilson company now makes cross net volleyballs with our brand on it. Those are all good upsells. We try to upsell them during the purchase. Uh, but my biggest thing is trying to own that data, getting their email, getting them into the funnel, and then post-selling them. So, hey, are you enjoying CrossNet? Wish you could sweat a little bit more. Yeah, we, we've heard that complaint before. Get your doubles net. Or, yo, it's 32 degrees in Minnesota. You might want to play inside. Uh, get an indoor net. So, stuff like that. Are you going to get Tom Hanks with Wilson? We've tried. We try. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> get that. Just, just playing volleyball. Playing, playing I heard he's doing cameos volleyball. now. Is he? Yeah, if he's doing a cameo, we can definitely send one over. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So, so let's talk about some of these B2B partnerships, and maybe we'll get to education after. So you mentioned you know, you're trying to land that first retailer. How do you, how do you approach that from, you know, you're selling it to them for less than you're selling it to, of course, you know, like a, a direct consumer. Of course. But, you know, what you're spending maybe on the ads is, is less and you can sell it bulk, which, of course, is starting to kick off the brand. How do you guys balance that and evaluate that? It's tough, dude. It's really tough because you have on one side, you have your wholesale revenue, right? Where it's, it's a fixed cost. I know I'm going to make this much net profit off my order. And then you have the direct-to-consumer across net, game.com. It varies on the day. Um, my ad cost might be high. My ad cost might be low. And then also on the wholesale side, you're making less money, but you're making it at scale which is always nice. But then you also have to balance the payment terms. Some of the vendors are net 30, some of them are 90 days, some of them are 120 days. So it's finding that fine balance. The way I kind of think about it is we're sending all of the traffic to crossnetgame.com. We're trying our best to convert them there. We could offer discounts our retailers can't typically on our products. So that's motivation. 
doing everything we can to get them to enjoy the product, enjoy the brand, get helpful tips by getting their email or phone number. But at the end of the day, it's 2020. Like being honest, would I buy from crossnetgame.com over Amazon? No, there's not a chance. I'm logging on to Amazon, buying it in one second and going to get it there in 12 hours. So we know that's how customers react these days. So our whole goal is just drive brand, 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 uh, wherever you want to get it, get it. So excluding the retailers or the brick and mortars, how would you say is like your, your sales split between your site and Amazon? We have an interesting relationship with Amazon. We don't sell Amazon direct. We have a distributor who picks it up by thousands at a time and they sell on Amazon for us. They run that whole relationship Hmm. back in stock actually in a few days. So they sell on amazon.com for us. And then also some of the smaller marketplaces like wish and jet.com. Interesting. Why'd you go that approach versus selling directly through Amazon? So it takes a lot of manpower, uh, a lot of time where we were a small company, literally just the three founders working like 12 hour days. We finally have enough cash to have employees, but it's just a lot of manpower, a lot of reviewing. And when we kind of weighed the pros and cons, the pricing kind of that they offered us just made a ton of sense. The pros of going with them versus doing Amazon ourselves, having to staff customer service, potentially losing our account if we don't ship in time. All those things just, it made sense to take a good paycheck from them and keep the ball rolling. And, and the margins are crazy good on that. So we're happy with it. And it sounds like you've been working with them for a while. Yeah, Spreetail, great company. Oh, with Spreetail, okay, nice. I'm, I'm familiar with them. That's nice too, because I guess from like a risk and cash flow perspective, that helps you a lot as well. And especially in the early days, cash is king. And, and if you don't have that cash flow, you can't even do any of your D2C side. Precisely. Yeah, I mean, for that, like the Amazon revenue, although we may make a dollar or two more on if we went direct, it's also not guaranteed, right? Like I know I'm importing, say, 2,500 units. I know I'm getting paid in 60 days. Where Amazon, I'm like, Eh, am I getting all that money right now or am I going to get it in a few weeks? It's not. I'm trying to weed out the variables and just get straight cash as quick as possible to reinvest into the business. How did you manage cash flow early on? You mentioned you, you guys pulled your money together. You sold out. You had to pull together a little bit money, more money. Did you go to the bank to get like SM loans? How did you approach that? No, we actually just took our first loan out ever. Um, actually, we're in the process right now. Haven't even got the cash yet. 10 million plus into this thing. So we literally just kept doubling down. Sold 50, bought 100, bought, sold 100, bought 250, 250 to 500, 500 to 2,500. Just kept doubling down. Literally barely paid ourselves like enough money to like pay the rent. And now it's like we finally got to this big, big scale where we kind of escaped the need for the VCs and uh, the huge banks and the interest rates. I'll answer Maria's question in the interim. Most profitable right. selling platform. Direct-to-consumer always. Crossnetgame.com. Depends on the day because Facebook ad spend is variable. Some days my CPA could be 40 bucks. Sometimes it could be $10. Just depends on how the ads perform. Okay, perfect. And so that's what I wanted to ask off your website from like a channel split perspective, which channels are you using mostly to drive, you know, drive revenue through your channel, uh, through your site? Yeah. So historically it's been Facebook, always videos, always videos shot on an iPhone compared to studio production. We are never, ever, ever as a company going to spend tons of money on video content when I know my iPhone does just a good enough job, pretty much, unless it's going to be like a crazy ad or something like that. But always looking for organic content, tricking the consumer into thinking, hey, is that the dude I went to high school with playing in his backyard? So trying to get them to stop for two seconds to watch because people are smart. They know what an ad is. And I, my finger knows how to move right past that. So trying to get them to stop. Recently, with the election and all that, uh, Facebook CPA has kind of gone a little south. So we're moving a lot of our ad dollars over to Snapchat. That's performing mm. well. Not performing as well conversion-focused, but overall traffic to the site is really, really good with Snapchat. It also fits kind of our demo of like 18 to 25, 26, whatever that is. And I know if I could get them to the site, I know, let's say I have a capture rate of, say, 7 or 10% through the email pop-ups. And I know my conversion rate off that 10%, it's still predictable revenue. Uh, and Snapchat's been pretty good for us so far. How, how is the data in, the, in Snapchat's ad platform? It's not that good, to, to my knowledge. I'm not the one overseeing it, thank God. But uh, I know it's been hooked up to BetterCart, which is our checkout process. One-step checkout, BetterCart, amazing, amazing tool. We use them, really affordable. But yes, yeah, Snapchat and BetterCart integrate. We just doubled down with our Snapchat spend this morning, actually. So 
I'll check back on that. <laughs> and what about TikTok? Have you experimented there at all? No, that's the one thing I keep asking our team to do. We have a TikTok platform. Uh, some of the videos have been viral. Like we got a couple million views on some of them, I believe. But uh, no, that, that's one thing that we just need to kind of put more focus on. We just hired a full-time social media manager. So she's going to be focused on getting TikTok up. So there was a question from somebody prior, and, and Nick actually called this out as well. So from Murad, you guys talked about how you made millions on a $60 ad. So let's hear that story. Yeah, yeah, of course. So we have, if you've seen across an ad, you've probably seen this one ad. It's the lot being Olympic volleyball team. Uh, this dude randomly messaged us and said, hey, like, I have a big volleyball camp. Will you pay to like, just get it out here? And I promise like, we'll get some good content. Sent it out to Latvia, which is super far away from the United States, <laughs> the map. And uh, essentially, I woke up one morning in bed. I remember just rolling over. And uh, my girlfriend is still sleeping. I remember I was like, what the hell? My phone is like going crazy. And uh, somebody shared this Latvian video. And there's millions of views on it and like thousands of comments. And yeah, so we've taken that video and we've run ads on it for the last two years. And it's sick. It's just four Olympians going super hard at CrossNet, making it look way cooler than it ever could. And uh, yeah, we've been using that app, also 60 bucks. Uh, and yeah, it's great. You've been, you've been using that for two years? Two years, we haven't stopped. That's insane. Cause yeah, that's why that's... We're, we're, we're partnering with the volleyball players because I got mad at my team this morning. I'm like, I've been using the same video for two years. It's working, but like, there's so many volleyball players out there. Let's go pay them 60 bucks and get a dope rally. That's awesome. I mean, it just goes to show too, it's like w- once you find your winner, keep riding it. I'm blanking on the game. There's, I know it's really popular over in Thailand, but it's almost like volleyball meets soccer. And, you know, it's like a lower net and they play with their feet. And so I just think, I'm, I'm sure there's just so many fun, like different types of ads you can run. Oh, yeah. I'll pull up what the sport's called. But it's just, you, get, you get those guys. On check, when back, check back in a few months, my friend. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, you're, you're several steps ahead of me. So a question that we, we often get, it's the number one question. Uh, here we've got this from Irene and Maria, marketing from scratch. So let's say you were to do this again. What would you focus on from day one on a marketing perspective? Email. We dropped the ball for over a year on email. Didn't collect data, didn't email customers, didn't build out funnels or flows. Email now makes up almost 30% of our business, our DTC business, excuse me. But uh, we spent so much money on paid ads and just did not capture traffic correctly. Email, email, email every single time. And now we're starting SMS. And I know my answer is going to be SMS in like six months. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we're sleeping on SMS too. So trying to find the time to manage both. I love that. It's, it's such like a simple but often forgotten channel. And it's just own your customer data and own that relationship because you're always renting it on these other platforms. From, it, from an email perspective, what tool are you guys using there? Uh, we use Clavia. Nice. And what, what are you guys going to use for, for SMS? We use PostScript. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Both are cl- close partners of ours. Cool. So uh, that's great to hear. It's crazy too, the amount of revenue that you're driving from email. We, we were meeting with a, a customer a couple of weeks ago and she's like, I love checking my email stats more than anything else. She's like, I got like a third of my revenue last month from email, yeah. which I'm just paying the email platform and that's it. And so it's, it's just such, it's often an ignored channel. Yeah, it's crazy. Yes, so definitely don't overlook that. And also building out like funnels, right? Like it's really, it's been really fun to start creating messaging to build content that resonates to people. I now have segments where this is our mom audience. This is my physical education audience. And this is my kid, kid audience. And I'm never receiving emails that moms are getting and vice versa. So really, really fun there to get really smart about it. Nice. That's great. And let's get into the persona stuff right after this. So. Yeah. You guys are in Dix, you guys are in Target, you're in Walmart. As an up-and-coming brand, how are you able to penetrate those markets? LinkedIn, man. Building a network on LinkedIn has been nuts. So started this with literally nothing. Just I'd, get, I'd be so pumped if I got like five likes on a post, right? But the first thing I did when I built the company was, let's add every single buyer. And so they've been following the journey for three years now. And now my LinkedIn... like post and I could post about unicorns and 30 people are going to comment about it. So <laughs> uh, it's been cool. So now they have seen, regardless if they actually answer my DM or not, they've seen CrossNet in their newsfeed. They're literally seeing it on a daily basis. 
And when I went to go make that cold outreach, it wasn't that cold anymore because they're like, of course I've seen CrossFit. Like it's, I've been spammed in LinkedIn and also <laughs> I may have seen it in real life. So did you connect with them on, did you identify the buyers? You tried to connect with them on LinkedIn and then pull them into your newsfeed from that? Correct. Yeah. So I connected and I did not hit, nobody likes a message right off the bat. It's the worst. So don't message them right away. Maybe if you want to add some personalization and test it out, but don't ask right away. It's usually going to be a no. So I did that. Uh, found the email for one of the buyers, sent him like a, a plea being like, Hey, like, I promise you these things will sell. Please just take eight of them. Like I promise <laughs> it's going to work. And it did. Thank God. But yeah, that's how we started LinkedIn. Also have a chat box. If you do not have a chat box on your website, you are doing yourself such a disservice. Dicks came in on a chat box. They literally said, hey, and I had been trying to reach out to Dicks for a year. They never wrote back to me ever on LinkedIn. And uh, one day we just get a little like six word message on our chat box saying, hey, this is so-and-so from Dicks. We're ready to place an order. Or like, how the hell? I love that. It's don't dismiss channels. If it didn't work today, Maybe the product wasn't ready. Maybe the customers weren't ready, but don't dismiss it in the future. And, you know, on like the software side, I often get the question is, is XYZ channel, can that bring in just small merchants or enterprise merchants? People come in through so many different channels. Like you mentioned this chat, somebody might just Google you. Yeah. Here's a question from Jacob. I, I like this one. I, I might reword it a little bit. From a marketing perspective or maybe a distribution perspective, what has been the biggest waste of money or time? I've gotten burned by a few retargeting, uh, banner ads and display ads. That hasn't worked as well. Uh, but it's also been when we've been trusting like solutions. I won't name drop any company. But uh, we've trusted some solutions and woke up and saw $2,000, $3,000 spent with one purchase. And we're like, I might as well like, go hand deliver this for a $3,000. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, be, be careful about that stuff. Uh, leaving stuff on and not checking it. If you don't have the bandwidth to check and you start making investments, be very, very careful uh, when you leave like automated cash just spending because you'd wake up and be very sad. Let's go to the customer personas. And so the people you mentioned, they're pretty different. There's yeah. the younger kids. Let's say there's the fresh out of college people. And then there's the parents. And so as you segment the messaging, how are you capturing that information up front? And so you can utilize Clavio or PostScript properly. Yeah. So what we're doing now, and yeah, it's a fun, difficult question to answer. But what we're doing now is on our Facebook ads, we're going after specific demos. So this ad is going to moms and dads only, showing little kids playing in the backyard or in their gym. They're then going to a landing page. They're then putting in their email or their phone number on that landing page. They're then getting sent into a segment that says mom and dad. So now I know this is a mom and dad that has come from Facebook, has come to my website, and now I have their information. So now when I go create my email messaging, I click on the mom and dad segment and I send them only mom and dad stuff. From building up your database or your, your prospect list and customer list, yep. how do you approach that with ads? So are you sometimes just trying to utilize content and the ads to pull people in because you know after a certain number of emails, you can convert them? Are you trying to get them to buy on the first visit? How do you approach that? Yeah, it's a lot of A-B testing. Sometimes it's discounting because uh, when I think about it, the only reason to buy on our website right, is the discount. Otherwise, I would go to Dick's or I'd go to Walmart or anywhere else that sells the game. We've all had our poor experiences where we bought something online. It didn't come and you had to call your credit card company or something like that. And I'd rather go to the trustworthy vendor. So trying to build that trust with them uh, is what we're trying to do. To answer your question, we're, we're definitely segmenting it that way and then creating content geared towards the mom and dad to specifically get them to purchase, but also teach the rules. Because when you buy a Dix, you get the game, but you may not know exactly how to play. I mean, there's mm -hmm. rules involved, but you're not going through that funnel. You're not getting tournament invites. You're not really becoming a part of the community unless you buy on our website. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the tournament thing again. I, I love that. I feel like that's like you're, as you just create these like mini movements, like, you know, like we've seen with CrossFit and like the tough mutters and spike ball tournaments, you know, yep. you, you just, you start creating just such crazy momentum. And, you know, you down in San Diego, I've seen countless times, you know, just biking through San Diego and you see just like, just massive amounts of people just playing just these different games. And it's just like these all day tournaments and it attracts so many people just watching it right there. Yeah. All the time. So that, that's going to be fun. Tournaments are cool. Uh, we had a huge event schedule lined up pre COVID had to cancel them all, unfortunately, but we had one in San Diego towards the end of last year 
we just like literally geoed the emails to California specific, uh, ran ads on Cali specific, and we had 50, 60 kids show up. One kid drove three hours to come play. <laughs> that is awesome. I was like, dude, I got to give you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Don't tell me. Hours to come play. Like that was humbling, dude. So excited for the future and when we could do this and not get publicly ridiculed for it. So love that. So today's show, I know you and Nick were chatting here. How did that come about? Chat box, simple chat box. Hey, this is today's show. We got a segment on outdoor games and she was from an Gmail, like not even a todayshow.com. It was a Gmail. So sometimes things seem too good to be true, but at least try to suss them out first to, to see what's up. So, I, I, I could not agree more. Yeah. Actually, when we, when we launched, I think it was this series or maybe it's something else Nick and I worked on. Our CEO signed up and his personal email <laughs> is still a hotbox email or a hotmail email address. And so he's the CEO of, of ShipBob. So you, ne- you never know. Don't, don't, disc- <laughs> don't discount it. What kind of impact to the brand did you see from the Today Show? And, and did you utilize your appearance on that in, in ads as well? Or did they not let you? Yeah. So sadly, it was during COVID. So it wasn't an interview with us. It was a outdoor game special. So pretty much we had no idea. We shipped them a box. They said they're filming a segment. We had no idea what it was going to look like. They just said, tune in. Anybody never watched today's show. It was, it's like a four hour show. It takes up your entire morning. So we just had to watch for four hours until they like played our 30 second thing. But uh, it was an outdoor game segment, had kids in, uh, in the face coverings and they just played cross it for three minutes straight on live television. Really? Three minutes. So the segment was three minutes long. Our cross net thing was about 45 seconds to a minute. But since it's so big, it was in the frame for the entire three minutes. So uh, it was cool. It was really cool. We got and we had just restocked on Amazon that day, actually. So it was really, really like great timing. Easily cleared like 65 grand that day. So that's cool. That's awesome. Very yeah. cool. You know, one of the many things I, I love with our vantage point in the ecosystem is when we see customers of ours getting on Today Show and Shark Tank or just some of these other, you know, just mainstream TV networks and just you can see 5, 10, 15,000 orders come within like a 24-hour time period. And then also from like a branding perspective, it's huge. Yeah. We got two more great questions from the audience. And then I've got the question I always ended out with. Um, Somehow we're almost to the top of the hour. From Jacob, what are the biggest reasons people have not to buy? And how do you combat the, that friction in advance? It's 150 bucks. Most people do not have $150 to spend on a game like this. So we try to combat that. We have like payment options on our site. I think I've tried every afterpay method just to uh, figure it out. But yeah, we have afterpay methods. We have payment plans to motivate people. Uh, so that's, that's one way. That's the biggest objective. What kind of conversion rate changes have you seen by utilizing Afterpay as, as you test those out? Honestly, not the biggest. I don't have that data. I wouldn't even lie to you. Uh, I just mm-hmm. we're using it on the site, but it's not, I don't have great data behind it, but I do know it's just an option. If I see somebody in like the Instagram DMs being like, oh, 150 bucks, no way. I don't have this. Like, oh, maybe you're, you're better suited for our Afterpay method. I wonder if they even have these options, you know, because you worked at Uber, correct? Yep. yep. So with Uber, it was pretty fascinating how they rolled out. If the three of us were in the in an Uber, we could split the fare right there. Yeah. yeah. And with like your product, that actually be a pretty interesting model as well, without it being too cumbersome in the checkout experience. But Absolutely. it's you know, especially if it's like you and your roommates, whether you're in college yeah. or after college, let, let's split it. Yeah, that's a good idea for sure. There we go. That that's uh, whoever runs with that tech company, hit me up. <laughs> um, interesting question here from Vikram. So you guys are building this brand. Do you think about an exit strategy? Let's see if we get the real answer or the on-air answer. <laughs> I mean, ideally, right? Like, yeah, it'd be dope to sell this company. We're going to sell this company at some point. It's a fact. We all have ambitions outside of this. I love music, like live music, being without live music. I want to build a bunch of concert venues all across the world. Uh, that would be Chris's dream. I also went to school for film. I want to produce movies in the future. Those are my two big passions. But right now... We're just super like, we're just normal dudes, right? Like I don't have a Maserati or anything. I literally finally bought my first lavish purchase. I bought a car the other day, but like, we don't need a lot of money right now. We don't, we don't need a lot of money. We don't need these crazy expenses. So we're not in a rush to sell the company right now. We know volleyball is not going anywhere and we know cross that's not going anywhere. We've already proven that we're in all these schools right now. People are loving the game. 
it's not a fad. It's only just beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, and international expansion is just about to start. We're about to flip the levers in every single country. We're starting with Australia, United Kingdom, Canada. I open up warehouses there, turn paid ads on in those countries. We'd be a $100 million company, $200 million company. No question. And as a, a volleyball fan, which I played basketball too, which is, you know, a very mainstream sport. Yeah. Volleyball was always like that third tier weird sport. And so I love the fact that you guys are you're building up some momentum behind volleyball. And it's crazy also just to see it's such a huge sport in other countries in like yeah. Eastern Europe and Australia and even different parts of the U.S. as well. Like I know Ball State, it's, it has like this huge like volleyball program there. You know, they're nowhere close to the beach. Same with BYU and then of course the coast. So it's, it's pretty interesting. All right. So I'll ask you, you know, my, my final question, but first I want to say thank you to you, Chris, for taking, you know, an hour of your time. Really appreciate you coming on, sharing your story, you know, dropping some knowledge for us. I'm excited to continue to follow your journey and be a customer as well. And just want to say thanks again to the audience. Always appreciate you all joining in, being very proactive with, with the questions. Nick will follow up with uh, who the winner is. And as always, we will be here next week for the final episode as well, three o'clock Eastern time Wednesday. So, uh, so come join us. So my last question, Chris, what is your number one piece of advice for entrepreneurs today? Just get started, dude. Like you, nobody that you look up to was ever anything until they became somebody. Like doesn't matter where you come from, like how much money you have, who your parents are, like where you went to school, your race. A good idea is like a simply a good idea. Like we were literally just three kids from a farm town. Like we knew, I, I don't know anybody that's rich or famous or has opened up their own business. Like we just had a good idea and we never gave up. And there's going to be times where like, shit, I can't do this anymore. And I need to go get that paycheck. That nine to five is pretty much always going to be there waiting. It's easy to stay in my position now, but I stashed away cash for six months and then I took a risk and I'm so damn lucky. I thank myself every day that I like, I had enough. <laughs> I don't know, trust in myself, I guess, to just go out and do it. So yeah, just get started. I love that. Get started. So Chris, thanks a bunch. Keep kicking ass moving forward. Excited to watch it. Enjoy San Diego. And thanks everybody for joining us. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me.